Wow, you actually told me that you were going to hit record this time. <laughs> I know, it's a little unusual. So are you leading us in, Anna, to Deeper Magic, or am I? You just said you were going to. All right, here we go. You're listening to Deeper Magic. Welcome to Deeper Magic. I am Peter. I'm here with my daughter, Anna. And we're on episode four, I think, Anna, here of the Deeper Magic, right? Yeah, it feels like a lot more than that. It does. Well, that's because you and I usually need about 11 <laughs> takes. Since since we go scriptless on these episodes, we need yep. about 11 takes to have it be somewhat uh, sensical for most people to listen. Totally. Trying to remember what we already have covered and what we haven't is like, yeah. I mean, mental gymnastics, really. <laughs> it really is. Well, we have a guest that's going to be joining us in just a minute. And maybe by way of introducing him in, we can revisit some of the conversation a little bit where we've been. And one place in particular we talked about was this idea of the American model of the attractional church. This idea was introduced to me by a pastoral mentor friend of mine, and and maybe six or seven years ago, he was talking about seeing some changes or or desiring some changes in what had been a 30-year model, uh, roughly speaking, of trying to bring as many people on Sunday morning as you possibly could for the event. And, And there was a lot of good, I think, that was done through all of that. But I think some people are asking some new kinds of questions, uh, not the least of which have to do with daily discipleship and what does life look like outside yeah. of that hour event. And and I remember, man, I remember being a pastor and and being in pulpits during those weekends when it was that hour event. And oh, yeah. and for sure for me, especially in the fall. So we're in the fall right now when we're recording this podcast, but especially in the fall when the American football season starts mm-hmm. up, noon was your hard and fast deadline as to how long <laughs> you had before you needed to wrap up that sermon. Yeah. And and usually you, you needed to start sort of descending into your final point and conclusion at about 11.53 or else you would notice people starting to get quite fidgety in oh, the yeah. congregation because they knew that kickoff was coming. I have to confess, I was one of those people who was pretty fidgety from time to time, too, especially... Well, and they've got that, like, big clock on the screen oh, where they put, like, the yes. lyrics for the worship songs or whatever for the for the worship team. And so they've got that big clock that starts counting down from the beginning of the sermon. And I remember, I don't even like football. I don't even watch football. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching that clock, and it's, like, two minutes and 33 seconds. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I just go home. Yeah, I know. Maybe I just leave. <laughs> Well, I can say from the per- perspective of the pulpit and the, and when the clock is in the back of the sanctuary and that yeah. thing is ticking down, it would go from like green tick down. If you ever were into red, it would go yeah. to minus digits. Would it change its color? For sure, you had to you had to wrap it up, and and so you had that hour time. And that hour time, as we've talked about, typically comprised some worship songs and some announcements and and maybe some testimonies, and then the sermon. And then people would go home. And I certainly have anecdotally. Uh, talked over the years with people who say, you know, I don't really remember much of the sermon come two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. It doesn't mean it wasn't meaningful at the time. And and I think some people really do make, in fact, a lot of people, I think, make a lot of effort to extend their Christianity, their Christian practice, their discipleship um, beyond just that hour-long service. But they don't always necessarily know how until the big event happens again the next weekend. And so that's that's where we've been. And I think there are some interesting trends afoot in the United States about how can we turn this into more than just an hour event, but uh, maybe a whole life kind of faith journey on, on which we are, where it extends into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not necessarily formal groups or more Bible right. studies, but just a, a more of a whole life. And you had a chance to study in Edinburgh for about a year last year. 
Yes. And you did have a different experience over there in one of the churches that really did have a lovely event going on on the weekends, but uh, but it extended past all of that. Yeah, I the hmm, okay. Yes, yes and no. Um they did have their Sunday event and that was kind of the main thing, but they did have services all throughout the day on Sunday and I think the sermons were different. I think they were too. They had a Sunday morning sermon and then yeah. they had Sunday night service, which gosh, that that's a that's long where we past normally phenomenon went. in the States. Yeah, you often went on yeah. Sunday night and had a different speaker, different sermon, different service. Yeah, and so usually they, I believe they had a nine o'clock, a 12 o'clock, and then a seven o'clock service. And, and each sermon was different. And so kind of the intention of that was that you were there all day. Like right. you went for all three sermons. Or if you're me, you didn't. Um, <laughs> but... The the thing that I really appreciated about it was that they they genuinely cared whether or not I showed up. And part of it is because I had a couple of friends that I didn't realize went to that church when I went to that church. And then I ran into them there and I was like, well, now I have to come because now you know that I go here. One of my friends initially realized that I, I needed to be getting out of my flat a lot more because spring semester I was living by myself. Um, in the fall, I had had a flatmate. And so, yeah, spring semester, she was like, you need to get out more. You need to leave your home. You need to have a regular rhythm. Like, And I am going to force you to do that. And I was like, thank you. I, I do need that. And so she started inviting me to church. And my flat was on her way to church. And so... Every once in a while, I would get a text and I would be like, oh, no, I have to I have to leave now. And so it started as that. And then I realized that the church as a whole really did genuinely care whether or not I was there. And they had the same, like, they had little biscuits, not like donuts or anything. Right. Um, and they had tea. They had really good tea. Yep. And so I would go and I would, and I would have the tea and I would have the biscuits. But when I would talk with the people, they, like, actually cared about me. They didn't know me. But they actually cared about me. And like it was just this odd experience where I was like, oh, even though functionally what they're doing is no different. They they have the worship. They have the sermon. They have the worship at the end. They maybe talk about how they need money every once in a while. They like will do baptism services. They'll do Easter things. They'll do whatever. I was like, even though on the surface it may not look any different, these were people who I was not just a face in the crowd. I was an individual person. I was certainly not a giving unit. Mm-hmm. And and the church was not a place where I would go where then they could put a little tally on their board and be like another soul was saved. Like the church was the place where I could go and and they would care for me. Like, that's why the church was there. It was so much more a parish mentality than mm-hmm. it is here. It wasn't an organization. It wasn't really a, a business in mentality. But it, it was very much like, we are here to take care of you. And and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the biggest moments where I saw that was there, the Easter week. was the It was the first time that I had done Easter by myself. Right. And and really, I didn't do it by myself because that friend of mine joined me for a lot of it. But they had services all throughout that week. And so um, their Monday-Thursday service, they had three of the, like, main pastors. I don't even know if I could call them lead pastors, but three of the, like, main speakers in the church 
knelt in front of the people who came to the Monday Thursday service. And it was a small group. There was maybe 20 of us. And we all kind of sat around a communion table together. And Monday Thursday is celebrating the night in which Jesus was with his disciples and he washed yeah. their feet. Right? Yep. And so they they knelt in front of us and they washed our hands. And And it was so interesting to me because I was like, I could see a similar thing happening in the American church. But it would never have been the lead pastors who would have done that. Hmm. They would never have like humbled themselves like that. Not maybe in the big churches. I will say I've been in small churches where they have, but we're talking some of the big, big, big churches that have gotten so large that aren't able. I mean, I've been behind the scenes in these churches. And when you talk about feeling seen and known, like when you get to that size, you just simply can't know the people in the church. And you're training the greeters to make people feel comfortable through different kinds of techniques and things to say. And, totally. And and it's understandable, I guess, when it's that big. But you're talking about having entered into a service where they did actually see you and they knew who you were. And so by the time you're there on a Monday, Thursday, they they know who you are and people are, that you know are washing your hands. And, and just yeah. that, that connection is much more meaningful. Yeah, it was just, it was really beautiful. And it, it just kind of touched me in a way that I was not expecting to, to see the leaders of the church be like, we are here to serve you and care for you. This is not for us in our own power and our own self-image, which I feel like is often how it is in the churches here. Yeah, it, it certainly can be that. And before we bring our, our uh, guest in, maybe just one more thought, is that yeah. you often would then go out for drinks after service on a Sunday night and you'd continue conversations. And and your mom and I had a chance to be with you a few times with some yeah. of your friends. And those were some of the sweetest times is then after church, to spend another two, three hours sometimes. Absolutely. Um, in, in downtown Edinburgh with people. And there was and, like a little, it was like a Mexican restaurant oh. slash, I don't know, I, I wouldn't I, call it a pub. I was just going to say, in Edinburgh it like is not known bar. for its Mexican food. Let's no, just say. it's not. It's really I good. missed that while I lived there. I really miss Chipotle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that restaurant was so good and it they was. had such good Mexican food. And they had really good drinks. And I was like, this was super fun. And it was literally right next door. And you being 20 years old there, you were able to have a cocktail versus here where you you, you can't. I love rubbing that in, by the way. So I've got four more months. You just let me know when you want me to get you some Sprite, sweetie. (laughs) I'm happy to do so. All right. We should probably bring uh, Tim is anxiously waiting. Well, I don't know if he's anxiously waiting. We'll find out. Maybe he's with great boredom waiting on the line (laughs) right now. But I had a chance to uh, meet... Uh, a person that is ministering in uh, the UK uh, from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. We haven't met in person yet, though. I'll be joining your mom and I will be with him in a couple of weeks there in London. But uh, Tim Yearsley works for what is called the LICC now moving forward. And uh, and Tim has some pretty interesting things to say. He's listened to the episodes of Deeper Magic. And, and the, I think the most interesting thing that he said when he emailed me was that the UK has already kind of had uh, a change yeah. in terms of its church practice, and they're and they're they're kind of through the larger church models to some degree, and mm-hmm. and are looking at more of a whole life discipleship. So, Tim, I don't know if that fairly represents you, but uh, I suppose it's time to to bring you into the show here. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Peter, and nice to meet you, Anna. Hi. Literally. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to meet you too. <laughs> Indeed. And Tim, you were just, again, before we even came on together, you were like, Anna this, Anna that. I know I keep saying it, but, but you know, <laughs> could you, is there any chance you could give me a proper two at some point? Uh, a proper two? Or, you know, just like, you know, just like some sort of, some sort of compliment. I just, I'm hungry oh. for a compliment, Tim. <laughs> it's the only uh, reason he's doing this. Yeah, yeah. It's about me. You, Peter, you have, you have a great voice for radio. 
I, I, well, I don't know if you've written any children's books, but I would listen to you oh, reading me a children's so book fun. as I fall asleep. I think that would, I think, you know, if the ministry thing doesn't work out, children, try it. Children's book? Okay, I'll start, well, I'll start working actually, on my Thomas the Tank Engine. So. On a serious note about the children's book thing is, is all growing up, and he's doing this now with my younger siblings as well, is mm. we would read through different series every night, a couple different chapters of things. And and the one that I particularly remember was Harry Potter. For sure. Because it took us like two and a half years to get through the whole series. It did. And now you're reading and did he do the voices out of He does. He doesn't there know that go. he does it, but he does. Uh, it's I'm really not funny. Great. I'm, I'm not exactly Ian McKellen or anything like that, but I do try to mix in some new voices. It's good. But I just remember every night when we would finish, it's always the like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and like, that was the look- bane of my childhood. <laughs> I would just try to leave him on a cliffhanger <laughs> always. So, Tim, I don't know. Why don't we just start here? You, I know there's a lot that we're going to talk about, including um, your your work in the Nottingham area, but also in London and with young people. But you you hear about what we just talked about mm-hmm. uh, and Anna talking about her experience in the UK and, and even some of the experience that you know of in the American church in there. Just any quick reactions to that? Sort of hot takes, I suppose, as it were. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's so much to say. And I'm just really grateful to be here. So uh, I should probably begin by saying all opinions my own and don't sue my organization for anything that I say that might be. <laughs> that's a good start. The United point. States is quite litigious. So you're, you're, that's, okay. that's not a bad disclaimer. So, so here's, here's a thought to maybe start us off. I would say that church um, is, is, is the community that grows up around planting of the gospel in a place. So think about the New Testament. That's what you see happening in these house churches as the apostles travel around and they plant the gospel. There's a response to the gospel by sometimes an individual or a few people there. And then this community grows up around it. And um, thinking kind of missiologically, that means that the, the gospel in a community can take the shape of whatever culture that community finds itself in. So a church um, in the first century uh, Mediterranean uh, is going to look a certain way, and that's absolutely fine because it's the church in that culture. And a church in the UK or in Edinburgh in 2022 is going to look a certain way because that's the church in that culture. So I wonder if, when, when you guys have been talking about you know, your evangelical megachurches, is that the church that, the U.S. culture deserved, let's say. Mm-hmm. That's a bit provocative. But did, yeah. did the U.S. get the kind of church that best fitted the culture of the U.S.? Uh, and so maybe we can talk about that in a second. But I just, then I'm thinking, but the culture is now changing and was an attractional, seeker-sensitive model of church. Actually, you know, one legitimate way of doing church uh, a generation ago, but now the culture is changing. Does the church also need to find its way in the culture? And will the church end up looking differently as it exists as a community of people crystallized around the gospel, mm. but in a, in a new and changing culture? Um, and that's, maybe that's kind of the transition that I think the church, let's say in the West even, is going through right now. And it's um, difficult and messy and exciting and full of opportunity. So. Yeah, uh, there you go. There's my opening gambit. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? I think uh, responding to your first comment, and then maybe Anna can speak to the second too. Um, we've talked often about this idea of of syncretism in some of the classes that I teach, basically where the the church or a faith expression begins to adopt 
the values of the culture around it. And so to your point, uh, oftentimes the church has basically adopted cultural values. And, and sometimes that's not the worst thing in the world. And sometimes it, it can lead down some paths that aren't as helpful as we want it to be. But to your point on the attractional church, I think what happened is there was this understandable impulse to make the gospel more accessible to people who otherwise were being turned off by what they perceived to be some very formal churches or, or uh, some churches where they wouldn't feel like they fit or belonged. And it really did uh, drive a lot of people to Sunday morning and expose them to Christianity. But I think what happened after that, Tim, is that because the United States is such a free market capitalistic kind of culture, thus now we have the syncretism, is that other churches started seeing what was going on in these quote-unquote successful churches in terms of how many people were coming, and those churches were growing like crazy. And if you're a business in the United States, you have to be growing every quarter, reporting in. The blessed and the profitable businesses are the ones that are growing. And so churches began to really compete against one another to try to bring in greater market share. Uh, and, And to the point, is that as a business owner myself, it got it got to the kind of situation where I might have business meetings in the morning where we were doing demographic analysis and we were trying to figure out what products we wanted to offer and what would the market accept and like and enjoy. And then I would go to a church meeting in the afternoon and we were doing the exact same thing there. We were doing demographic analysis. We were trying to figure out what offerings or products we wanted to produce as the church to bring people through the door. So I, you know, it's one of those things, so many things in life, right? Start, I think, with really positive and understandable impulses, but I think it did devolve into this system that was more of a capitalistic enterprise that started counting people and giving units and, and, and competition. And Anna, I know to your point, when I'm with your generation in the classroom, one of the things that has been missing, especially recently, are um, probably two things, and this goes to Tim's second point, is community. One of them, just just relationships is one. And and the second thing is, is you're dealing with all kinds of issues that simply can't be addressed in the big event on a Sunday morning. First of all, about the the church kind of taking on the form of whatever culture it's in, we had a brief conversation about this the other day where I came home from my um, Christianity and Western culture class, which I'm actually really enjoying. It's a it's a really fascinating. I class. love that you're taking that. It goes through it goes it's through what good. Tim said. It's all the different expressions of church and history and theological movement. It so totally important. does. Yeah. Um. But at one point, one of our lecturers in a in a small group session said something where he said, "Um, for early Christianity, uh, and this was from the apologetics, I believe that he." He said, every foreign land is their fatherland, but every fatherland is foreign. Hmm. And there was just dead silence in the small group as we all were like, Wait, what so on say that again? earth does that yeah, mean? Yeah, say that again. Um, so he said, every foreign land is their fatherland, but every fatherland is foreign. And it was kind of the idea of every every foreign land, every place on earth has Christians, right? So every every country or place or whatever, like you can find them all over the world. And they are part of all of these different fatherlands. But no matter where in the world they're actually from, that place is foreign to them because they are not of this world. Like, this is not their home. This is not their fatherland. That is God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Was the point of what he was saying. And so I actually love the idea that, like, churches can take on their culture. But I think there's a fine line between acknowledging and taking on their culture and and respecting the people around them and their way of life and doing what America has has done and kind of modeled the church after 
yeah. after American culture where my manager at the coffee shop where I work, because I, I work at a great little independent coffee shop, the number of times in the day that we hear that Starbucks and is it Burger King where it's like, have it your way? Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that he was, was like, those with. two places have ruined everything because it's all about how do you want it and and what do you want it to be like? And it has to be exactly how you want. And it and it's part of why people go like church shopping. Right. Here is because mm-hmm. it's like finding everything that you want in a church, which you're never really going to find. And so a lot of people kind of just give up. But but part of it too is, and this is something that you and I have talked about a lot, is with the like rise of kind of anxiety and depression in my generation, especially here, but but in the Western world, there's so much talk of individualism. There's so much talk of like, who are you and who do you want to be and what do you want to do and and how do you want things to be around you that now with the like intake of information that we get every day, which is staggering and kind of the state of our world. And then with the American mentality of have it your way, it's like everything is up to us all the time. Everything, every little decision is up to us. All the big world things that we see out there, like the message that is communicated to us is that that is our responsibility to fix us individually, not us as a generation or a country or a mm-hmm. or a whatever. And so it's like no wonder we're all like anxious yeah. all the time, wouldn't you be if it's if it's all about you all the time? And and I think that is something that American church has brought in as well is that it, it's all about the individual like how how do we appeal to the most individuals and then it's up to the individual to like church shop until they find the one they want yeah yeah Go, can yeah. i jump in on that please yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i think anna you're that the phrase about the foreign land and the fatherland i really like and i think that gets at attention that i've noticed uh in in the church in the uk in the local church that i'm a part of and even in myself which is I want to live out a gospel-affected life in the culture that I'm in whilst resisting the culture wanting to make me in its own image. And I think when that begins to happen, we're in trouble. And that, just to use the example that we've already been talking about, the US church that has become a business and is kind of run by management consultants that sounds to me a bit like the church has fallen into the culture, making the church in the culture's image. But really, God's people are called to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. That's the that's Psalm 137. That's what happens to the Israelites when they're in Babylon. They're, they're thinking, they're wrestling with this question. They're lamenting over this question of how difficult it is to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. So yes, let's acknowledge that we're in a foreign land. The culture around us is not Christendom. We are needing to speak the language of the culture, tell stories that the culture will resonate with. And yet the song we want to sing is the Lord's song, not some sort of kind of distorted version of that, that our culture has actually come up with. So I find that helpful. And that's a, that's a guiding question for me, because as I think about the kind of ministry that I'm doing, helping young adults through the first decade of work and connecting their discipleship to the lives that they're leading Monday to Friday, nine to five, I want to go first in answering that question. How can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Because if I can learn to do that, I hope I might be able to help others learn to do that as well. And not because it's copy and paste, not because I'm getting it all right, but because I think that journey is one that uh, each of us uh, need to discover and go on uh, go on for ourselves as we 
as we figure out what the unique expression of the gospel in our own lives looks like. Mm. Yeah. And and one thing about uh, kind of culture shaping the church instead of the church shaping the culture is, and, and this is maybe a little weird, but there's a line from one song that I really, really love where he says something about how if man makes God in his own image, and I, I love the flipping of those two things instead of God making man in his image, it's man making God. And I think that is what the American church has fallen prey to is, is we have created our ideas or our concepts of God under the idea of American culture and American individualism and the pursuit of, what is it, life, liberty, and happiness, <laughs> all of that. So I don't even glad know. you know our American constitution. I try my best to forget. <laughs> Honestly, I try my very best. But it's like I, I do feel like we have tried to create God in our image and and shape it that way to fit into our American culture rather than rather than appreciate some of the beauty of American culture while doing something distinctly different. Hmm. Yeah, and Tim, I have a follow-up on that uh, for you too in a second, but just thinking about what you guys are talking about, we were chatting in class this week that, at least in America, I think part of the mental health, there's so many different dimensions and layers to it, but part of it is that we're living kind of in a crisis of God's faithfulness. Again, I was talking with about 60 uh, young people this week and saying that, Anna, to your point that that man creates God in our own image, there, there's a sense in which that our underlying value is that, of course, we're entitled to some kind of happiness in this life. And so then we define what we believe that happiness is going to be. And then we bring God along for the ride uh, as the means by which he should empower that happiness journey to take shape. And then when inevitably things go awry or difficult things happen in our life, we blame God for not empowering the happiness that we think that we're entitled to. And and it leads to this crisis of faithfulness. We, we question God's faithfulness needs to be evidenced in the circumstances of our lives, we think, as opposed to God's faithfulness is that he will never leave us independent of the circumstances of our lives. And and that's kind of, the, the, that that turn is so different. But to your, I think to your point, Anna, a lot of young people are now, we see the stats and, and a lot of young people are starting to walk away from the institutional church models because they need something different. They're looking for something different. It hasn't yeah. It hasn't helped. And Tim, you said something to me just that when you were listening to some of what we were talking about in Deeper Magic, that the UK already has gone through some version of pretty significant evolution in church practice or gathering or shifting. I don't, I don't know if you ever had mega church kinds of ideas like we've had in the States, but uh, tell me more about what you mean about some of the differences and, and where you've been, because I think a lot of people think Europe is about a generation ahead of the United States. I don't mean in a good way, just in terms of where the church is headed. Yeah, there's a lot in that. I think probably what I see happening is the church realizing that it's in a secular culture. and it, the, we're, So we're not in Christendom. We're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> How do you um, know Wizard of Oz? You, you, oh, that's really good American. Oh, I just took a go big on. like gulp of coffee, and then you said we're not in Kansas, and I almost she spit almost it spit everywhere. It <laughs> yeah, and so well, uh, uh, and the the alarm bells are sounding across the church in the UK because mm-hmm. attendance is declining; it's going off a cliff. And mm-hmm. we look at the Barna research stats for the UK and. It's something like 73% of uh, young adults who have been born and raised in a Christian environment are dropped out of church by the time they're 35. So that's almost three out of four, Wow, which is wow. quite astonishing. And it just speaks to, yeah, uh, the fact that 
the church as it currently exists is not singing the Lord's song in this in this foreign land. Maybe it, it's singing the Lord's song for a, a generation previous might have enjoyed, but um, it's not where it needs to be. So having said that, I think there are some interesting things happening in church culture and um, some churches are bucking that trend, to be fair. We, we certainly don't have mega church culture like in the States. Um, I actually, in Nottingham, where I live, uh, live just down the road from one of, probably one of the bigger churches in the UK and they get maybe two to 3,000 people on a Sunday. And so uh, we're, still in, we're still in four figures there, not into five figures, which I think some of the churches in the States are. Mm-hmm. At least when I visited and went to one, that's what I, that's what I felt like I was part of. So, so we don't really have mega church culture. We have some big churches and some uh, churches seem to be bucking the trend of decline, which is an interesting thing in itself that we can come back to. Uh, but I think... The church on the whole is kind of finding itself between a modernist and a postmodernist secular culture. It's wrestling this through and it's thinking about how do we speak about the gospel in a way that connects meaningfully with the culture. And by the culture, I'm now going to start using that as a synonym for the next generation because the next generation uh, embody all of the cultural trends that are just going to be increasingly prevalent. So, um, so how do we deal with secularism? How do we deal with postmodernism? How do we deal with mental health and well-being as issues that people are dealing with? How how might we rediscover what salvation is in its fullness? And you guys talked about this in one of your recent episodes um, as something that Jesus offers all of us to bring us more fully to life in the here and now as well as in the life to come. I think a lot of preaching in the UK is going in that direction. And it's it's not kind of dumbing down the gospel to help people deal with their day-to-day issues in a TED Talk kind of inspirational message on a Sunday kind of way. But it is trying to talk about how God has been doing something from the start of time that is inviting all of us into relationship with himself, into shalom, where we flourish uh, with one another, with him and with the world around us. Uh, we have a sense of meaning and purpose. And actually, salvation isn't just this ticket to heaven thing. It's about inner shalom in myself, you know, my heart, soul, mind and strength all united uh, in, into being an integrated, authentic person who can bring shalom wherever I go. So there you go. I've, I just probably covered a lot of ground in that. But those are my initial thoughts. So yeah, feel free to yeah. pick up on anything or ignore it all. Well, I, th- I think what you, you said that's so helpful is that the culture, as opposed to being this this abstract thing, is actually just the embodiment of the next generation, how they're experiencing their life, the values, how they are living sort of day to day. And and I, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the idea of salvation in future episodes along the lines of what you said about this, the, this full life salvation um, that I think is going to be really helpful theological. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it a corrective or an expansion or what it happens Amendment? to be. Amendment. Yeah. Certainly we've been <laughs> talking about a lot in class as, as, it's not that you get salvation and then you have to go sort out the rest of your life, but in the context of the unfolding of salvation in your life, some of these really difficult things that we're all walking through begin to find um, not just patronizing healing, but but um, but ongoing ongoing healing and and growth. And but I think it requires Tim more than just a, a time of gathering on a Sunday morning. And and I am someone who still advocates for the 
hour-long gathering on Sunday morning. I love singing um, corporate worship songs together or hearing some common teaching, but I think you've been working on, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been working on, Tim, how, how do we extend this into all of life? And, and I love that. How have you guys, but you guys both said it, I think. Singing, how is this? Singing a song? Singing the Lord's song. Singing in the Lord's song. I love Psalm that. 137. Yeah. Which yeah. even brings back some of the like imagery of Narnia. And is it the magician's nephew? Yeah. Where he when sings, he sings creation into being. I love that. And so singing the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about attempting to do some work where that's happening more than just the hour on Sunday. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. And I have yeah, a that's little right. follow-up question as well. Just, Good. You get to answer two questions in a row here. <laughs> you throw a lot of material at us, we yeah, throw it right back. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, yeah, we talk a lot about the idea of like spiritual but not religious here. And I would identify with that to an extent in the sense that I'm not regularly part of a church building. I, I do still call myself Christian. And so in that sense, I'm like, yes, I am religious. I believe in the Christian God. I believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure there's a creed about that somewhere. Um, <laughs> you didn't even know the Constitution a bit ago. Now, now you're referencing the Nicene Creed and barely listen, know it. Okay, um, we did actually just learn about that, yeah, so I right. should know it. Um, <laughs> it was on my exam, but uh, yeah, like I, I am still Christian in in what I believe, but I'm not Christian in the traditional way that it is practiced. Well. I am, <laughs> but not in the way that it's been practiced in America in the last century. Yeah, that's I'll fair. say that. Um, but I I know a lot of people, not so much here because we live in the Bible Belt, so literally everybody that you know and and everybody that they know is, is Christian in some way or another. Um, but a lot of the people that I knew in Scotland were, were very spiritual in, in the sense that they— it was more unusual for me to run into somebody who believed in nothing— than it was for me to run into somebody who believed in something, usually the universe or energies or like something like that. And I mean, I resonate with that in a certain sense. It's what we talked about with magic, where I was like, I feel like the the world and the universe is alive in the sense that the spiritual realm is not as far away from us as we might think it is. And I've even had weird experiences with like books and stuff where I've been like, you know, that's more than just a book. Like there's something in there. But I just wanted to hear like you talk about a secular culture and mm. and how does, do you see that spiritual but not religious thing? And then even further than that, would you see some of the spirituality as like different names for Christianity? In a sense, like do you think that they're worshiping the same God or not really? So those are actually quite a few. I think we're hearing two different things. One is we're talking about what does it mean to be a Christian in the world all week long, and especially in the kind of world in which we find ourselves, which is still, I think, a very spiritual world, but it's a whole amalgamation or just mashup of spiritual things. So, Tim, does that make sense? I think there's two things, like obviously extending our faith beyond Sunday morning, but that takes us into a really interesting environment right now where people really are spiritual, but they're kind of mashing it all up from a variety of angles. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I'll say as well, I mean, I, 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 absolutely think there is a time and a place for gathered church so don't hear me saying that that's all gone and done i do think that is important it's that time in the week for me where i i i get some things that i don't get anywhere else in my week so at, at its best church on a sunday keeps me connected and corrected i think so it keeps me connected to other people in that you know ability to actually 
get outside of my own echo chamber, which is something that church does beautifully because the rest of the week I'm in my echo chamber. I hang out with people who are like me. But on church on a Sunday, there's all kinds of like strange, weird people who live in my neighborhood that I would go nowhere near, apart from the fact that we're having coffee together after the service. There's something really yeah. beautiful and healthy about that. Um, and there's also that sense of deepening community with people. Um, maybe you do that by going for drinks or going to Mexican after the service like you did, Anna, where, you know, I, I'm just exposed to other people who can knock the edges off me and can speak into my life. And hopefully I can speak into theirs. And it just, it just helps me be a more rounded person, basically. And then that idea of being corrected as well. It, it, it's about turning up on a Sunday with the humility that God doesn't only speak to me. God can speak through other people. God can be doing something in this community. And actually, I want to tune into that rather than just rocking up thinking I've got all the answers and that. And that actually, my, my own spiritual maturity is my own responsibility, which speaks to a bit of what you were saying. Actually, I'm part of this community. Um, and that community keeps me on the straight and narrow. Ultimately, that, that's about forgiveness as well, me, practicing forgiveness together. Where else in the week do I hear forgiveness preached. I, I haven't found it anywhere. You never, like, our culture does, is not a forgiveness culture. It's one that celebrates heroes and then loves to tear them down again as soon as they've been built up. So, so there's something really healthy about that that is good for me, and I enjoy being part of that gathered Christian community on a Sunday morning and maybe in the middle of the week as well. I think that's important. So anyway, all of that was a huge caveat to say, let's not forget about church on Sunday, because when it's doing what it's doing well, it's a beautiful thing. And it's clearly a part of what an uh, expression of discipleship looks like. So having said all of that, what on earth does it mean to be a Christian in the rest of the week when you're not hanging out with Christians um, and you're at work or you're at your musical theater group or you're at your triathlon club or playing in your death metal band or just Which, to wait listen, that's, that's listen, not listen, just listen, a, listen. that's not a random illusion yeah, Tim. Well, we're going back to that Mr. death metal band in a little bit <laughs> my dad yeah. told me about that and I was like oh this guy is so much cooler than you <laughs> she, well, she did so again in the, in the mutual admiration department of you and Anna she thought it was pretty cool you were part of a death metal band so we're like, definitely coming back to guy. that we're definitely coming okay back. well okay. I mean you might want to listen to the music first and then decide whether you want to be friends with me okay we can do that afterwards anyway studying music so i think i'll be okay. fine okay good. <laughs> so, okay, okay so yeah so what on earth does discipleship what does it look like to be a follower of jesus in the rest of the week that is a great question and that's one that i'm really trying to lean into with my work at licc and um we're, we're pushing into questions around how we help people be as tuned in to god's presence on a monday morning at the desk as they are on a sunday morning singing the worship song how do you help people do that? And what happens when, that, when they are as aware of God, uh, you know, in work on a Monday morning? Um, what does it mean to see the work that I do in my regular job? Maybe that's working at Burger King or Starbucks, or it could be anything, as actually something that God cares about and has a role to play in his mission in the world. Um, what does it mean to be someone who stands up for truth and justice, who is known for being a righteous person wherever God has put me. Not a self-righteous person, but a righteous person. And also then how do I earn the right to communicate the gospel, to be a messenger of Jesus' good news where I am, but know how to do that in a way that is winsome and sensitive and empathetic and not preachy, not judgy, but is meaningful for people and gives them some sort of opportunity to respond to the gospel, which may not be 
coming to an alpha course. It might just be a tiny little step where you know you have another conversation, but that's a good step in the right direction. So those are all, those are all the questions that really need to. And we're doing some research around that at LICC. I had a focus group with half a dozen young adults who are in work where we 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 were looking we were thinking about what does it mean to thrive in our work as Christian young professionals. And then LICC's just wrapped up a slightly bigger survey on what spiritual practices can help people in their discipleship as they are scattered as church out in the week as well. So I can tell you about the results of some of those things and what we found, if you want. But I just want to flag those up as the questions that matter to us and the questions that we think are worth asking because church on Sunday, as good as it is, is not everything. And if we want to... um, talk about a faith that makes sense to people, then it has to touch all of life. It can't just be compartmentalized onto a Sunday morning. Hence, these questions matter. Well, I think, and what I would love to hear is exactly what you just uh, alluded to. And that that is, um, what did your research find? And I think, just one statement to make about that is, is I think sometimes, unfortunately, I, I, I have experienced explicitly recently that some Christian leaders have been looking at some of the Barner research or some of the research you described. And and unfortunately, they become a little bit dismissive and, and they blame it on maybe the duns or the disenfranchised or they mm-hmm. say, well, you know, they're just um, self-absorbed is, is one of the yeah. things that I hear the most of. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of self-absorbed TikTokers. It becomes you know. my generation's fault. Right. And, and I think, and I just had somebody come to one of my classes this last week and I watched them basically say, these young people are amazing. They have a lot of questions mm-hmm. and a lot of concerns and they're trying to piece it together. A lot of them have lived without the shepherding of families or or um, healthy church environments. The political system has been a zoo for quite some time. Educational systems have gone through so much change. And so as opposed to uh, reducing people down to just a bunch of self-absorbed um, social media, Instagram kids, there, there's a lot of uh, substantive questions going on. I, I would imagine, do you find that, Tim, in some of your research? And, and what, what are some of the other things you're finding? Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is where my wife is a great help to me. So she works in the Students' Union at the University of Nottingham here. And mm. um, so she's up close and personal with students on campus. And it's the start of the academic year right now. So the campus and where we live is just flooded with all these students. And every day over the past week, my wife's come home and just said, the hope for the future is this next generation. Yeah. They're just so full of energy and optimism. Um, good things are going to happen. They're, they're oriented in the right direction. And that's good because I think it is easy for us, or I'll speak for myself, it's easy for me to paint the next generation with this broad brush and think, oh, they're, they're all just addicted to TikTok and you know, they're, they're clicktivists. They don't actually care about justice. So, you know, Wait, no, I no. have not heard that He's phrase He's going to use that phrase all I the am, time Tim, now. thank you. I have ammunition. Yeah. You have filled my quiver. Thank you. So, oh. well, all of that to say, um, I think we can argue either way when it comes to trends, but I'm really interested in how discipleship makes sense for the young adult who's sitting across from me. That's when it all becomes real. And when I look at Jesus in the Gospels interacting with people, I see that he interacted with everyone on a case-by-case basis. He never had the same answer to different people. He always seemed to be totally tuned in to where that person was coming from. So whoever I'm hanging out with, whether that be someone who identifies as a Christian, someone who is curious about Christianity, or someone who would go nowhere near a church, like my bandmates, I'm trying to think, what does it mean to be in this place and give this person my attention? to understand who they really are and what's going on with them 
how might I tune into what God is doing in their life and join in with that? So Anna, you kind of alluded to this in a question you were asking earlier uh, when you asked me about if I think secular people who are maybe spiritual or searching for transcendence are close to the God that we know. And to that, I would say that Paul's words to the Athenians in Acts 17 ring in my ears. So he preaches to the crowd and he tells them that God is not far from any one of us. Hmm. I think that's such a different posture to enter into our culture with when we think about bringing the gospel in the language and the stories of, of the culture that we find ourselves in. I'm thinking that, assuming that God is not far from these people, as opposed to God is in my church and I have to get you there on a Sunday morning, which may be a million miles away from where you are right now. But that is just, that is a, an assumption that lots of us carry around. I just don't think it's that helpful yeah. though. What does it mean to go on the front foot and think, okay, yeah, God is doing something in this person's life, whoever they are, and, and how do I nurture that, join in with that and, and, and be a part of what, is good, what God is doing? So that's, a, that's a, something I tried to carry with me as well. And then help other people to be aware of that as well. So when it comes to young adults in their workplaces, uh, who want to be more tuned into God's presence is saying, okay, well, actually, what if God is already at your workplace and joining in with him is what you're called to do as opposed to bringing him with you um, or even worse, leaving him at home because it's too hard <laughs> in the <national laughs> culture, which is what I love the young adults uh, that we yeah. speak to end up doing as well. Hmm. Well, and Tim, I know that um, our time is is getting a little shorter. So I know Anna has maybe one question yet. And by the way, she is in tears over here based on the idea that God <laughs> yeah. is, is near to us. So, so thanks a lot for, for wrecking my daughter this morning. It's good. <laughs> I've been awake for what, a little over an hour? Yeah, now? yeah. And yeah. I'm already crying. She's already crying. Um, so yeah, so she's got, and then I, we have to finish up by at least hearing a little bit of your death metal experience. I know this won't absolutely. be the last conversation we have mm -hmm. together, but, but mm -hmm. uh, Anna's got one more question for you. Yeah, yeah, just with the idea of of meeting people where they were at and and having having God be near to us, not having us have to bring God into a space because he's already there. And this is one of those things that I'm like, I can't remember if we've already talked about this or if this is in one of our many drafts that we didn't end up using. Right. But I was part of a an organization in my spring semester in Scotland last year called Roots, and they were there— for university students, they weren't associated with the university, and they said that because they have Christian foundations, they're for everyone. And it wasn't mm. like we have Christian for formation uh, or foundation, sorry, but we're for everyone. It was like, no, because we're Christian, we're here for everybody. And I never heard one of the people there bring up God unless somebody else brought it up first, like one of the people who worked there. And it was, I mean, they were open Monday to Friday, and I mean, they still are. I'm just not there anymore. But they just provided, like, food and tea and coffee and spaces to sit, spaces to play games with people or or be social or study or or whatever. But their whole mentality was about, we are going to put ourselves in the heart of the university, and we are just going to provide whatever these students might need with no expectation. Like they were never trying to convert anybody. And I just remember walking in, now living by myself. My mom had just flown home and a lot of my friend group that I had had in the fall had kind of dissolved over break. And so I just remember like walking into Roots because I had been walking past it every day. And I was like, this is the only place that I could think of to go. 
And I walked in and I sat down and I was like, I am so lonely and I didn't know where else to go. So I came here. Hmm. Well, and, and like introverted, socially anxious little me ended up going on a fall retreat to the middle of nowhere with no (laughs) phone service with these people literally two weeks after I met them. Cause I was like, you changed my life and they did. Hmm. Well, if that isn't a good example of singing the Lord's song in a foreign land, I don't know what is. That's yeah. absolutely beautiful. That's such a great witness. Yeah, I, I love the sound of that. And I'm glad you were able to connect with them. It was mm. amazing. Tim, any, uh, I know you and I will be hanging and, and Hallie uh, will we'll be in London in a couple of weeks and looking forward to some more conversations on I'm this. So but I know if I can just rub that in a little bit. Anna, did you know Thanks. we're going to London in a couple of weeks? Oh, really? I'll be happy to tell you all about <laughs> it when, when we're done. But any any sort of partying comments, uh, Tim, for now? Yeah. And, and so I feel like I've, I've alluded to a few things, but maybe I haven't mm-hmm. given you guys or whoever's listening to this podcast anything kind of to grip onto. Sure. So let me tell you about one spiritual practice that we gave our research subjects through the research that we did at LICC and and how it helped them. So it was called the Examine Prayer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys come across that before. It's not from the Protestant evangelical tradition. Uh-oh. And that makes Wait, some what? people nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. See, this is the so, wait what moment. Uh, there was actually yeah. faith outside of uh, Protestant evangelicalism. Uh, Tim, you're, yeah, you're, you're rocking yeah, the world. Yeah, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but, you know, God, uh, God is bigger than Western evangelical <laughs> megachurches. Oh, dear. Okay. He, he was actually around before Western evangelical <gasps> megachurches, and he'll probably be around after them as well. Stunning. So, okay, anyway, exactly. so, yes, yeah. I love this. <laughs> so, uh, 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 and, you know, I think any, any practice that I can use that helps me be more aware of God's presence, be more sensitive to him in other people's lives, uh, helps me bear more fruit as a disciple in the kind of character that I have, in the kind of work that I do, in the kind of issues that I'm known for standing up for, all of that good stuff. Anything that else we do that is a good thing. So the examine prayer, E-X-A-M-E-N, is um, just a a short prayer, uh, although you can really stretch it out and enjoy it if you want, where essentially you review your day. And so most people like to do it at the end of the day before they go to bed, or you could do it the next day in the morning. You look back over your day and you start with gratitude. You you just think, well, there are a few things in this day that I'm thankful for. And that gets, well, when I do it, that gets my head into a good place. And then the main thing is to then walk through my day moment by moment as if I were watching myself live my day kind of in a film. And I'm just observing at mm. this point. I'm just noticing what happened, what was going on within me, who the people were around me, what work I was doing, just how one thing led to another. And then I try and notice the moments in my day where I felt like I was close to God. And then I pray about those things. And then I try and notice the things in my day where I felt further away from God. And then I talk to God about those things as well. And then after I've done all of that, I just ask for God's help in living better tomorrow. And the cool thing about this prayer is you can always pray it because you've always had a day to reflect on. So even if, even if I can't think of what to pray, I can always just go through my day and think, where did I sense God's presence with me? And where did I feel further away from God? And, um, and amazing things come up. For me, often it's, it's little details that I would have overlooked, like a moment of connection with someone. Maybe, maybe it was choosing to go to the checkout, the supermarket, 
and just having a, a moment of connection with the, the attendant who was scanning my groceries instead of my what I normally do, which is go to the self-checkout machine and scan my own groceries <laughs> where I keep my earphones in and then I get Super out of there as soon as possible. <laughs> yes. yep. But oh, what, you too. know, it, yeah, I know. I, and, and I, you know, I, I make an idol of efficiency for sure. And that's what I do most of the time. But I notice that when I choose to interact with another human being to give them some attention in the day, to speak a kind word, to say, thank you, how long's your shift going for? You know, just ask them what they're up to, what they're doing next, what, what, when's the next break? Um, and just to be polite and, and, and validate that person as a human being who's doing this job, that feels like a good thing to do. And I sense God's presence with me in those tiny little moments that are never going to end up being illustrations in a sermon in a mega church because they're just not sexy. No one died, you know, <laughs> no one was martyred. Uh, um, no one gave away their life savings sexy. and then, that was yeah, great. yeah. Um, but God's presence was in that. Or yeah. take another, uh, the opposite example. I noticed this, it sounds so mundane, but it's really stuck with me. There was a moment where, I'm sure you can relate to this, you're walking down a corridor and you know there's someone behind you and you're thinking, do I hold the door open for this person? Because they're just oh, far yeah. enough away there. It kind of feels a bit awkward <laughs> to hold it for them. And they kind of have to jog to get to yeah, the door. Yes, yes, oh, yes. Just, yes. You know, just, we're, all, we're all just feeling the awkwardness of that. Um, but there was one time where I did that and I just powered through the door and I thought, that person can deal with it themselves. I've got places to go. <laughs> and as I was reflecting on that, I thought, really? Why did I need to rush? It, that was mm. five seconds, less than three seconds. I could have just waited, held the door, smiled at the person who came through and just served them by, you know, holding the door open to them. And I didn't do it. So I felt a bit further from God. I felt like I was less of the person God was inviting me to be hmm. in that moment. And you know what? Since then, I try and resolve to always hold doors open for people, even if they're miles away at the other end of the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, it's not a huge thing, but the point is, if I practice the examine prayer, reviewing my day at the end of every day, over weeks, over months, things begin to happen. The way that I see my day in the day, not only when I'm reflecting on it, changes. I become more attentive to where God is and what he might be inviting me to do in any given moment. And you know what? When we did the research, that's exactly what the participants reported finding as well. So over 50% of the participants who had practiced the examined prayer for 12 weeks said all of these things. They had a better attitude to tasks that they were doing. They had healthier thought processes. They felt closer to God. They were praying for situations they found themselves in more. They had a better sense of how to act every day and they were more aware of God's presence. Hmm. So that's the kind of discipleship that I want to see taking root in the next generation. And it's as simple as giving people these tools like the examine prayer. <laughs> and maybe if those of us who are in you know, ministry and church leadership can start reorienting our perspective to empowering the people who are gathered on Sundays that we're responsible for, rather than them existing to prop up our church and our ministry. That's how we're going to see discipleship take root in the next generation yeah. and the gospel become compelling to the wider culture. Oh, so well said. Anna, for, Anna yeah, yeah. You last reflection here before we let him run. No, I was just going to say for maybe the first time in my life, I might actually try a prayer exercise. I know, right? <laughs> it's, I am too. Tim, how did you spell that? It was E-X. The examine, E-X-A-M-E-N. Yeah, that's... Uh, so there are quite a few guides online and you can download some audio guides that will help 
you through it as well. Just, you know, it's super flexible. It's not meant to be prescriptive. Yeah. Find a way that works for you mm-hmm. to do it, but give it a go. I should just say as well, as a footnote, the people who did best in the spiritual practices survey were the people who weren't perfectionists and felt like they had to do it right. But it was mm-hmm. the people who were adaptable and flexible mm-hmm. in fitting these practices to themselves and to their own situations. So give yourself permission to play with it. Use this as a creative experiment in connecting with God and bringing him into your day and see what happens. Tim, um, when I come, uh, and I don't know if you know, but we're going to be in the UK in a couple of weeks. But Tim, when I come, can I, can I come see your death metal van? What's the name of the band? Uh, Just give us a little snippet of this. Yeah, I don't know if we are gigging uh, while you're in the UK, but if you want to check it out on YouTube, then why not stick in the search bar Beyond Grace? That's the name of the band. Okay. And I know that makes it sound a bit like a sort of Christian band, but it's, I'm the only Christian in the band. Yes. Um, Amazing. So uh, there's a whole backstory behind the name, but I won't go into that now. So Beyond Grace is the name of the band. And then I would recommend you check out the song Fearmonger. F-E-A-R. Googling Like Fishmonger, but fear. So there's like a backing video of like politicians who stoke fear mm. and um, suspicion in our culture, that kind of thing. So see what, see what you think of that. Uh, you can spot me in there. You might enjoy it. You might hate it, but that's totally cool. I Death metal it. is like spicy food. I only offer it to people when they ask. I would never <laughs> serve it to someone uh, if, if I wasn't sure they were... They, wanted it. I think there's a surprising number of Christians who actually are, are people that don't want to come into the light with their death metal uh, enjoyment. I don't know if you find that same thing, but I know a surprising number that like their death metal. I found Look, it. I think if, we, if the fall hadn't happened and we were still in the Garden of Eden <laughs> and creativity was unbounded, it wouldn't have been long before Adam... Well, who's at, is it? Kate? Oh, I can't remember which of Adam's descendants inver- invents the first musical instrument, the lyre or something. Oh, right. Anyway, it's not long before that guy, still in the Garden <laughs> of Eden, adds a seventh string to his guitar. It's not long before they discover electricity, before they discover turning up the gain on the amp and making some brilliant noises. Oh, yeah. So I think there's a place for death metal in the kingdom. Jesus gives and, him a little uh, nudge here and there. I love it. For that's, sure. That's for sure. All yeah. right, man. Well, well, I'll let you run. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. There's a lot in all there. I'm actually going to go back and listen to all of this again, too, because yeah. there's there's a lot to really puzzle over. So just appreciate what you're doing. We're with yeah, you on our side of so the Yeah, thanks so much pond. for having me. And I'm sure when I go away, I'll think of all the cool things that I should have said, but forgot to say. So <laughs> oh, I'll try and write those down. every and, time. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully uh, there'll be a next chat time. about those, Peter. I heard, I heard you might be coming to the UK. So yeah, did I tell you, you about that at all? I don't know if you heard, but yeah, in a couple Maybe we can connect. Uh, We'll give it our best. (laughs) All right. right. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It was so nice to meet you. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Well, there is a lot in that. Yeah. I mean, I think this we can stand alone right there, but I need to sort of, I I guess maybe one quick reflection that I have, um, especially with what he said at the end on the examine prayer is it really does tie into what you and I have been talking about. What is, what are some of the things by which we mean that are the deeper magic? Yeah. And, and I think what I appreciate about what he said, and especially coming from a non-Western evangelical Protestant practice in our Christianity, mm-hmm. is that it takes us into actual relationship with God as opposed to relationship uh, with ideas about God. And I think w- one of the things that people are hungry for is actual spiritual connection with God, not just with ideas. And that's where we get this mashup kind of spiritual, but not religious culture. And and I just love what he had to say about the examine prayer as something that anybody could do. In fact, I... 
Let's do this. I'll say this. Uh, for I will make a commitment this week that I will try to do that at least one of the next seven days between when we podcast. <laughs> I don't want to get aggressive, but I, but I definitely want to try that uh, a yeah. couple of times. I have, I have heard of it in passing. I haven't ever practiced it myself, but in, in the, it's, you know, this is not uh, some sacred thing that came from heaven itself. But, but I think, as Tim said, an adaptable practice to get into your day in a way that's mindful that there is this magic all around us all the time um, yeah. that that we can tap into, and, and the other thing he said about singing the Lord's song, I think that's even part of that. There's a, I mean, there's a lot in what he said, but those are two ta- really? two takeaways for me for sure. Yeah, and and really quick, one of my big takeaways was the culture shaping the church, not the church shaping yeah. the culture. Although I I and he didn't say this, and I want to be careful about how I say that because when I say not the church shaping the culture. I, what I don't mean is that it's the church's responsibility to go out into the world and change the cultures that it is living in. I think it is right. a place where within the context of the church as a people, not as a building, the culture looks different. That's what I mean when I say the church shaping the culture is is that we we take some parts from the culture, but ultimately the church is like our cultural identity. Um, not that the church is supposed to go out into the world and change the culture. That is not what I mean by that. But I found the, the song that I was talking about earlier. You did? Okay, great. And I found the, the lyrics to it. First of all, I would super recommend this band. It's called Flight and it's F-L-Y-T-E. Okay. And they kind of sound- spell everything these days. Nobody just has a normal spelling anymore. Everybody, you know, all right, Flight. Um, F-L-Y-T-E. Yeah. And they, they kind of sound like if the Beatles were like today. Okay, that's fair. I love it. I think it's great. But the the song is called Little White Lies, and he says, if man makes God in his own image, it doesn't mean that it makes it true. It's just a little white lie there in everything you do, hanging over you, kills art, kills love, and it's killing you. Mm. It's just a little white lie. And he goes on and he, and he talks about money and power and cultural things and relationships and all of the little white lies that we tell ourselves. Mm. All, all through the day. But I just love the idea that he was like, if man makes God in his own image, it might not be true, but you're, but it's just a little white lie. So like, who really cares about it, even though it's ultimately like killing you Yeah, and, it, and it's killing your relationship with God and it's, and your ability to interact with the world around you. And I just, I love it. I think it's a fantastic song by a hmm. fantastic band. And we all do it, don't we? I mean, we all are guilty oh, of, course. of, whether you're inside the church, and again, we don't mean institution building, but people, you know, the people who are the church, we all, I, I don't know why that is, why why we have such a tendency to want to shape God in our own image. I don't know if it's just to, to maybe resolve the angst that we feel somehow mm-hmm. about just a, a life that is always so uncertain and a future that we never really know for sure what's going to happen. And somehow maybe if we make God like us, we feel more in control somehow, mm-hmm. as opposed to just letting God be God. And and living in some of the mystery of that. and, and It's your where, classroom analogy of God being in a box. Yes, I use that one all the time. Mm-hmm. Where we, we love to have our 10 statements about God, right? Like I can say yeah. these 10 things about God and then I can circle. <laughs> I put the word God up on, on the board and then I put it a little box around him. And then all of a sudden, some kind of experience happens in life and God goes, whoops, and slips out of the box. And we're like, ooh, man, we had him trapped in that box. But yep. now, now I just yep. need a bigger box. And then he whoops, he slips out again. And whoops, he slips out again. And, and at some point, I think the invitation... And that goes back to, again, this exam and prayer Tim was talking about. Like, I think the yeah. invitation is, is I don't really know what the future holds. I really don't. I'm a little bit scared about the future. In fact, a lot of it scared about the future many yep. days. 
And instead of God's faithfulness, back to what we said earlier, being true or not true based on how my circumstances are working out, Mm-hmm. maybe God's faithfulness is true because independent of how my circumstances are walking out, he would, he will still be there as, yeah. as, as faithful. And, and I think this examined prayer will maybe help me recognize some of those things uh, throughout the day. Certainly it's really intriguing that in your generation, over 50% of the respondents said, yes, yeah, so this is unbelievably helpful. So for people yeah. that are wondering what are some things that can be helpful? The work that they're doing in London with the next generation and, and Nottingham and other places, I think is is pretty instructive. So that's certainly a lot of takeaways today, but I really enjoyed the time with him. And I think he probably has another hundred things he could bring to the table that'll be helpful in the future with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say one thing about God being near us and, and meeting us where we're at, because I kind of have two things about that. Is that first of all, I had a, a dance teacher who uh, it was part of a Christian dance studio, and she would talk about dance as an act of worship. Yes. And the the way that she would talk about it is that there is power in our breath because the name Yahweh yes. is the sounds of of breath. I've heard that. Your, your mom teaches uh, a bit that some of the first breaths that, that uh, babies make and some of the first sounds that yeah. they make actually are the sounds of Yahweh. It's It's quite stunning when you see some of the research on that. Yeah, and so with so much of dance being like powered by breath, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but that's the only way that I can think of to explain it. She used to say that when we are born, we are alive because we can say God's name. And when we die, we are dead because we cannot say God's name mm. anymore. And that through dance, which is a, a breath-motivated movement, that, that that is an act of worship. In that, that way. And so we would always talk about like God being as close as your next breath. And so one thing that I have heard taught in the church so much is like that you are not worthy of the love that God gives you and and you are a sinful fallen human and whatever, but God loves you anyways. Mm-hmm. But there's always kind of this note of like disappointment or like whatever in, involved in all of that. But there is this moment that I had a couple of weeks ago where I was driving home from school and I realized I was like, I have been neglecting this relationship with God for weeks. I haven't been thinking about it or tending to it or or whatever. And I got really emotional about that in, in the same way that you would like if you realized that you hadn't spoken to your best friend in months and you were like, oh, I, I have neglected this relationship mm-hmm. and I'm really sorry about that. And I'm going to start tearing up because it was a it was a really profound experience for me and i i really felt sad and and humbled by that but i didn't feel convicted hmm. at all even a little bit and as soon as i was like oh i've been neglecting this relationship and i'm so sorry as soon as i turned my attention back to that mm-hmm. I, I could feel God's presence in in my car as I was stuck in traffic. And I was like, he, he is right there. And it was this moment of like, I have been a terrible friend to you. I have neglected this relationship. And you don't care. Hmm. And you're still right there. And you're not disappointed in me. And you love me anyways. And you were just yeah. waiting for me to wake back up. Hmm. I think I think we have um, 
perhaps vastly underestimated the generosity of God. I, yeah. I just, I, I had to lean into that this last week myself as well. I um, have been involved in some conversations and some friendships and, um, and, and I got a little, let's just say hot <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> never. Yeah, no, surprisingly. And, and I didn't, I didn't treat my friend with the respect that I wanted to treat this person. And yeah. And, and, and people, I'm sure, know the drill. You wake up in the middle of the night with regret, and you think, "Gosh, why did I say that? Yeah. I'm such an idiot." And and now I'm, you know, I'm I'm 174 years old. I should know better than that by now. <laughs> in this stupid, you know, this crazy journey, and yet here I am again. And um, and I apologize to my friend, but but even then, I leaned into the generosity of God and just yeah. that that. I don't know his his. I, I don't even know all the words all the time, but but maybe I'll just go back to it. Um, one of the it's, I'm sure just like you don't know the the American Constitution or the Nicene <laughs> Creed, you probably don't know the old hymn "Great Is Thy Faithfulness." But I do. You do that. I mean, that is that is one song that has been not a complete idiot. <laughs> no, you're far far from it. But uh, but great is thy faithfulness has been for some reason near to me recently. And, yeah. and I don't entirely know why. I don't even know that I know all the words of the song because we would usually sing lines one, two, and or, you know, the yeah. stanzas one, two, and four. For it's some like reason, Amazing we'd Grace skip. where you sing the first <laughs> verse like 16 I've times. Never understood. And then I found out when I was like 15 <laughs> that there's three more verses I and I was like, what? Oh, I can just picture the worship leaders like, we're singing one, two, three, and seven, and 12 today. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't even keep them. Those are very <laughs> biblical numbers. Are, one, well, two, indeed. three, seven, twelve. Indeed. So I, I just, I appreciate what you said that as we as we engage with the magic that is the kingdom and God is our yeah. is near as our next breath right and and actually is accessible and reliable and will be with us I'm looking forward to more conversations on, mm-hmm. on all of this so I think we can probably wrap it up there maybe just one yeah. quick thought I uh, just want to make sure you're aware as we wrap it up that I'm we'll be in listen. the UK <laughs> in a couple of weeks listen so I don't know if we brought that up but I'm gonna change the locks while you guys are gone <laughs> so that you come back and you can't get back we to need the house. to record while we're over there and you got to run the yeah song. So let's give that a go. I'll try to record on site from somewhere. You tell me where. Maybe I'll stand next to Buckingham Palace and um, and record from there. Just some scenes about what it looks like with King Charles now that our <laughs> beloved queen has passed away. So. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it was. Crazy. I still don't even really believe that that happened. I know. Well, I will. I'll get a firsthand view. But thank. You. This was fun. Fun today yeah. to talk with Tim. He's such a good guy, and I'm looking forward to more conversations with him for sure. Yeah, it was amazing. I can't wait to listen to his death metal band. No, I can't either. That sounds awesome. All right, thanks everyone for uh, listening to the. Deeper Magic. Next time, Anna, you have to wrap us up. That's two episodes in a row that I've tried yeah. to do the closing. Episode, well, I did so. the first two, so yeah, now, okay. we're, now we're even. All right, we'll talk with you all again soon. Thanks. Bye, guys. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 